Well, hey, welcome to First Church. It's great seeing you guys. And we are one church that meets in different locations. And so besides those of you meeting here in North Garnett, this morning family met out at Stone Canyon. Also, we have others who will join us online. So if you would, put your hands together and welcome them to our time of study here today. And my name's Chad. If you're new here, just so glad that you carved out some time to worship with us. And if you've been here before, you've probably heard me talk about how my family loves to play board games. We're a board game family. And the other day, somebody introduced us to the game Headbands. Anybody played this before? You basically put a plastic band on your head like this. You put a little card in it that you can't see, but everyone else sitting around the table can see. And then you ask yes or no questions to try to figure out what's on your card. And so I was telling somebody that my family just learned about this game. We were playing it. And they said, did you know there's a Disney version of Headbands? I was like, no, I didn't know that. And my family, my kids, they love Disney, love Disney movies, going to Disneyland, Disney World. So I was like, we got to get the Disney version of headbands. I couldn't find it anywhere, but there was a family in our church that had it, and so we borrowed it from them. So I thought I'd play with you guys this morning. I think that'd be fun. And so I'm going to actually wear the Disney version, which is Mickey ears, if you can see. I'm going to put it on my head. Let me put the card on first, if I can put it on without looking looking at it, and I'm going to ask you guys some yes or no questions, and you just tell me yes or no. I want you to shout out real loud. I need your help here. This is going to look foolish, I know, but that's okay. It's worth it to have fun with you guys. So I'm going to look at this camera for a second. Can you guys see who's on my card? Okay, you guys got to do better than that. Can you see who's on my card? All right, good. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. So now I'm going to ask you some yes or no questions. Okay, first of all, am I a woman? That's a strange question to ask. I'm a man, actually, but on my card, uh, am I a woman? Okay, yes, I'm, I'm a girl. Okay, so uh, am I a bad girl? No, that didn't sound right either. Um, am I a villain? Okay, I'm not a villain. All right, guys, stay loud. Uh, keep, keep it loud so I can hear you. Okay, so I'm not a villain. I am a girl. Am I a princess? All right. Uh, do I ride in a chariot? No, okay. Uh, did I eat some forbidden fruit? I'm Snow White, aren't I? See, there you go. I just proved you my Disney knowledge. You guys aren't very impressed. That's all right. Uh, but if you want to play, it's a lot of fun, especially when you're a guy, you're a dude, and you got to say, am I a woman or am I a princess? You know, that's always awkward. But what if I were to hold up a card this morning that had the word church on it? I would ask you some questions to describe the church. How would you answer? What if I ask, is it a social club? Or what if I ask, is it a religious tradition? Or what if I asked, is it an elitist group? How would you answer? I hope that you would answer no to all of those questions. But you and I both know that in our culture today, there's a lot of people who would answer yes to those questions without even thinking twice about it. What if I asked you, is it irrelevant? Or is it boring? Is it outdated? Is it dead? Is it fake? Is it judgmental? How would you answer those questions? Again, I hope that you would answer no, but I've got a feeling that in our culture today, a lot of people would say yes to some of those questions. And what if we made it a little bit more personal? What if it hit a little closer to home? What if I held up a card that represented First Church, our church, and I asked you to describe our church? How would you describe it? What would you say about it? Even more importantly, how would the people in our community describe us? Because what I've discovered is that there are a lot of ideas floating around in our culture today about the church. 
that aren't exactly what Jesus intended for his church. See, here at First Church, we don't want to be irrelevant because Jesus didn't want the church to be irrelevant. We don't want to be boring because Jesus wanted the church to be full of joy. We should be the most excited people on the face of the planet. We don't want to be known for being dead because we have new life in Christ and we should be celebrating that. We don't want to be an elitist group because we believe the gospel is for everyone. We don't want to be judgmental because Jesus tells us we're not to judge anybody. Do we stand for truth? Absolutely. But we love people where they are so they can come and know His truth. We preach the truth in love. No, we want to be known for a church that does life Jesus' way. What that means is we want to be all about what Jesus is about. We want our lives to be shaped by Him, and we want the life of our church to be shaped by Him. So at First Church, we don't want to be a social club. We don't want to be a religious tradition. We don't want to be an elitist group. We don't want to be some outdated social venue. No, we want to be a community of Jesus followers who are partnering together to do life Jesus' way. We want to be a Jesus-centered community that's partnering together with one another, you with me and me with you, to do life Jesus' way. So we don't want to be fake. We don't want to be elitist. We're not here just to keep a religious checklist, you know. Well, hey, I came to church on this Sunday, and I took communion, and I sang the songs, and I gave my tithe. Check, check, check. I've done all the spiritual religious stuff I need to do, so I'm a good church member. That's not what we would be known for. No, we want to be a church that's known for doing life Jesus' way because that's the only way to live life to the fullest. We believe that only by doing life Jesus' way will we live a satisfied and a fulfilled life. And isn't that what we all want? I mean, Jesus teaches in John 10, verse 10, I came to give life, life in all its fullness. Why did Jesus come? He came so that we could live a better life, a deeper life, a meaningful life, a life with purpose, a complete life, a full life. He came so that we could live the life that God created us and designed us to live. But here's the thing. We live in a world, we live in a culture that wants to rob us of that life, who wants to push us further and further away from that life. And so every now and now and then, We, who are followers of Jesus, have to kind of refocus, recalibrate ourselves and make sure that we are doing life Jesus' way because His way is the only way to live a satisfied life. And here's the thing. When you study the life of Jesus, what you will discover is that His his life can be summarized in three descriptions. Basically, there are three elements that made up Jesus' life. First of all, Jesus pursued an ongoing relationship with His heavenly Father. He maintained an ongoing and healthy relationship with His Father. Two, He lived in community, a close community of friends who also wanted to pursue the Father, wanted to have a relationship with God. And three, He lived on mission. He unleashed the Father's love on those around Him. And Each of these elements show up time and time again as you read through the Gospels and you study Jesus' life. And so here at First Church, we want to partner together to do those same three things. Our mission statement here is to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And that second part of our mission statement, love like Jesus, means we want to be as much like Jesus as we can possibly be. We want to reflect His character.
character, his attitude, his way of life. We don't want to be a church that says, hey, if you want to be a member here, just come and fill out a form and we'll put your name down in some dusty old roll book. That's not the type of church that we want to be. We don't want to be a church that says, hey, if you want to be a member here, then come and just keep this checklist of things and you'll be considered a member here. No, we want to be a church that partners with one another to do those three things, pursue Jesus, grow together, and unleash love. And we want to be a church that's doing that in daily life. Pursue, grow, unleash. And we're convinced that's what it takes to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be part of his church. And that's how we're going to change the world. That's how we're going to impact the 918 and beyond. It's a simple strategy to follow Jesus, simple, uh, a simple formula to try to be like Jesus. But even though it's simple, it's not always easy. But even though it's not easy, it's the best way of life. And we believe that those three elements are a way to gauge our spiritual development so that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. And one way that we want to illustrate those three elements is through the image of a triangle with pursue Jesus at the top and then the other two angles being grow together and unleashing love. Because we believe that a satisfied life is a spiritually balanced life. And if you're missing one of these three elements, if you're missing one of these three angles, then your life, your spiritual life is going to be unbalanced. And you're going to feel like you're missing something. You're going to eventually get to the point where you just feel as if you're discontent or that you're empty on the inside because we need these three things to continue to grow and be more and more like our Lord. This is how Jesus wants us to live. And right now, if you feel weak in any of these three areas, that's why our church is here. We want to partner with you to help you live the spiritually balanced life that Jesus wants you to live. So last week when we kicked off this series, we looked at the top of the pyramid, pursuing Jesus, what it means to have a relationship with Him. But then this week, today, we're going to look at the second part of the pyramid, I'm sorry, of the triangle, which is we want to be a church that grows together. In other words, we want to look at what it means to be a biblical community and have the type of relationships that God intended us to have. Because here's the thing, as you study the life of Jesus, what you will clearly see is that Jesus loved to spend time with people. He was always with people. Yes, crowds followed him and yes, he served and helped people, but even more than that, Jesus intentionally surrounded himself with a close-knit group of friends who he did life with, known as his 12 disciples. And I think Jesus did this for a reason. One, he wanted to stretch them. And with them, as they spent time with him, they were stretched and they got to observe his way of life and they've recorded his way of life for us. God has given us their writing so that we know how Jesus lived and we have his teachings. But even beyond that, I think what Jesus was doing here was creating a group of friends, of brothers who could stick by one another and support one another even through the darkest of times. See, Jesus, uh, Jesus showed us the importance of living in community because he knew we were designed by God for relationship. We were designed by God to live in relationship with him and relationship with others. And whether you realize it or not, intimacy is the goal of all of our hearts. The one thing that we are all longing for is relationship. It's intimacy. We were created to love and be 
loved. That's what we were created for, to be loved by God and to love him and to love others and also receive love from others. We were created for that. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was reminding me about a study that was done at the University of California, Berkeley. It was a research study, and they proposed sending out these nanocrafts into space, which they called spaceship butterflies. They want to spend millions of dollars to spend these nanocrafts, nanocrafts into space in order to take pictures of the furthest parts of space that we can get to and gather information and then send that data back to the Earth. And what's interesting is, as I look this up online, I was reading about it, I found out that Stephen Hawking, the well-known famous astrophysicist, he was in favor of doing projects like this, and he was quoted in saying this, it is important to know if we are alone in the darkness. Let me read that again. It is important to know if we are alone in the darkness. Now, I don't agree with all of Stephen Hawking's views, as you can imagine, but when I heard that quote, I thought, whether he realizes it or not, What he's revealing is our deepest human need, intimacy, to be known and to know others, our need for relationship. Because every single day, you and me, we encounter people, we rub shoulders with people who are asking that very question, am I alone? Am I alone in this darkness? Does anyone notice me? Is anyone paying attention to me? Does anyone care about me? Does anyone love me? Am I all alone in this darkness? And I'm convinced that that's why Jesus shows us the importance of living in community because we need people who will stand by us and remind us in the midst of the darkness we're not alone. That's one of the primary purposes for the church. We need godly people who will stand by us, who have the same values we have, who will remind us what our purpose is, why we're here, and that we are loved. Now, I have to admit, for a large part of my life, a large portion of my life, I didn't see the need for having deep spiritual friendships. I really didn't. I kind of thought, I can do this on my own. I can follow Jesus on my own. I don't need these deep spiritual friendships in life. But over time... I realized the importance of these friendships. And over time, God taught me something. He taught me that God uses people to grow people. Let me say that again. God uses people to grow people. Because God will use others to stretch you and grow you in a way that you cannot grow on your own. And we see this happening over and over again throughout the life and the ministry of Jesus as he interacts with his disciples. Because as I said, Jesus hardly ever went anywhere alone. He always had his disciples with him. And these disciples, they got to observe him, but even more than that, they were able to have this close-knit community that they could rely on, that they could be, and they could be honest in the midst of these friends. And I believe Jesus wanted these disciples to have this community, not just to observe him that was important and not just to teach them that was important but also he knew one day he would no longer be physically with them and in the midst of the darkness that they would encounter as they served him they needed people to rely on they needed people to lean on to encourage them 
And this definitely happened shortly after Jesus' resurrection. I mean, shortly after his crucifixion. Probably the darkest day in the lives of these disciples is the day that Jesus was arrested and sentenced to death. I mean, just imagine what they were experiencing. Their life was falling apart. Their world was crumbling before them. This man who they had followed for three years, who they loved, who was their friend, who they trusted, who they put their faith in, who they believed to be the Messiah, has now been arrested and sentenced to death. They were scared. It was probably the darkest moment of their lives. And Matthew, one of those close friends of Jesus, one of those disciples, says this in Matthew 26, verse 56. Then, after Jesus was arrested, all the disciples deserted him and fled. What do the disciples do? They run scared. And honestly, who could blame them? Their leader, this one who they thought was the Messiah, has now been arrested and sentenced to death. And in a moment of panic, in a moment of fear, they scattered. They ran. But here's the thing. They didn't run in 12 different directions for very long. On the third day, the morning of Jesus' resurrection, the women come to the tomb. They find the tomb empty. The angels tell them that Jesus isn't there. He has risen. And then they go back to tell the disciples. And what we find out is that the disciples are all together. They're held up together in one place. Why is that? Because in the midst of their darkness, they needed one another. And what's interesting is, they're all together on that first resurrection day when Jesus first appears to them. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. That's where we're going to be camped out today. And we're going to start at verse 19. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, you can follow along. If you have our first church app, you can follow along there as well. But verse 19 of John chapter 20 says this. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Let's pause right there. I bet that word overjoyed doesn't describe the emotion that these disciples were really feeling. I mean, think about it. This one who they thought was a Messiah, their friend, Jesus, he he was crucified. They thought he was dead, and now he's alive again. He's defeated death. I bet they were so excited they couldn't stand it. I bet that word overjoyed doesn't do justice to how the disciples really felt. They were excited to see their Lord back from the grave. But here's the thing. I said all the disciples were together. There was actually one missing. Thomas, one of Jesus' closest friends, he wasn't with them for some reason. Now, we kind of get the impression that Thomas had been with them, and he comes back to be with them again. But in this moment, when Jesus appears to his disciples, Thomas isn't there. And we're not told why Thomas isn't there. We don't know if he was out getting food for the rest of the guys, if they needed McDonald's because they were starving. I don't know. We don't know if he went back to the tomb to check out the women's story. We don't know if he was out interviewing different people saying, hey, have you seen Jesus? We've heard he's alive. We don't know what Thomas was doing, but for some reason, Thomas wasn't with them in the moment that Jesus appeared to them. And so Thomas, when he gets back, all the other disciples want to tell him about what they have just seen and experienced. But Thomas, he's a little bit cynical. He's not buying it. Thomas isn't exactly where the other disciples are because he hasn't experienced what they just experienced. And let's read on. If you would jump down with me to verse 24. 
John chapter 20, 24 says this, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now it's interesting What's interesting about those words that we just read is that Thomas is basically telling his friends, his fellow disciples, I don't believe you. He's got 10 men who he has spent the past three years with. I mean, he's spent every day with them for the past three years. 10 men, his closest friends, looking at him and saying, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. And Thomas is saying, I don't buy it. Unless I'm able to actually see him and touch the nail prints in his hands and the pierced side, I don't believe it. And I could understand these disciples getting a little upset with Thomas, as if, what do you mean you don't believe us? I mean, what do you mean you have to see it for yourself? Yeah, we want you to see it too, but are you questioning us? Are you calling us liars? I could see, I could see these other disciples getting upset. But here's the, here's the, the truth. They don't. And these disciples probably knew that Thomas would be a little cynical because that was probably his personality. And they could have thought to themselves, you know, maybe we shouldn't share this news with him yet. Maybe we need to wait for him to see it first himself. They could have thought that, but they didn't. Instead, even though they thought he might question it, they still told him anyway. John 20 verse 25 says, we have seen the Lord. That's what they declared to him. They were excited. And even though they thought Thomas might be a little cynical, probably, They still wanted him to be where they were. They wanted him to know what they knew. They wanted him to experience what they had just experienced. They wanted him to understand what they now understood. They didn't want to leave him out. And yeah, they could have said, well, you know, Jesus knows everything, and Jesus decided to appear to us in the very moment when Thomas wasn't around. Maybe that was on purpose. Maybe Jesus didn't want Thomas to know. Maybe Thomas isn't worthy to be one of uh, Jesus' disciples, or maybe Jesus didn't want to hear Thomas's questions or whatever. They could have, they could have said that and said, you know, we're just, we'll just leave Thomas out. Or maybe they... They also could have said, well, you know, we know how cynical Thomas can be, and he questions everything. Maybe we'll tell him, but we just won't be that excited around him because he's just going to have to see it for himself first. But they didn't. They told him anyway, and they were excited to tell him. And what I want to ask you guys is, do you have friends like this? Do you have friends who will help you get closer to Jesus? Friends who want you to understand what they understand. Friends who want you to experience the joy that, you're, that they're experiencing. Friends who want you to know what they know. Do you have friends who will help you get closer to Jesus? Because I believe that it's critical that we have friends in our inner circle who are already close to Jesus who will pull us along when we're not in the same spiritual place that they are. We need friends who will pull us in the same direction that they're going in so that we get closer to Jesus as well. Let me illustrate it like this. If I were to ask you to stand on the top of a two-story building and I handed you one end of a rope... And the other end of the rope, I handed to some of your closest friends who are at the ground level. And there's a whole group of them. They're standing in the line holding the other end of the rope. Let me ask, which would be easier for you, the one person on top of the building, to pull those friends up to where you are or for those friends to pull you down to their level? Well, we all know the answer. It'd be a lot easier for those friends at the ground level to pull you down to where they are. 
And so that's why it's important for us to have friends who are close to Jesus. Because our friends are going to pull us in the direction they're going in. And if they're going, if they're trying to get closer to Jesus, then we're going to get closer to Jesus as they continue to influence us and impact our lives. But let's flip that situation. Let's put you on the ground level and let's put your friends on the roof. And there's a whole bunch of them hanging on to one end of the rope and you're hanging on to the bottom end of the rope. If you let them, do you think those friends on the top of this two-story building would be able to pull you up to them? Absolutely. That's why it's important for us to have friends who are close to Jesus. Because as they get closer to Jesus, they will pull us along with them and we'll get closer to him. But I'll be the first to admit, those friendships are often hard to find. Because what I've discovered is it's a lot easier to find people who share our interests than to find people who share our values. This is what I mean by that. It's pretty easy for me to find people who share my interest. I mean, I can easily find people who love basketball like I love basketball. I can find people whose kids play soccer like my son plays soccer so that I can have something to talk with them about. I mean, I can find people who like the same movies I like and watch the same TV shows that I watch. I can find people who like the same foods that I like. I can find people pretty easily who share my interests. But finding people who share my values... That's a little, bit, it's a little bit harder. It's hard sometimes to find people who love Jesus the way that I want to love Jesus. But you know what? I found those friends. And you know where I found them? In the church. See, I'm convinced that's one reason why the church exists, so that we can do life with people who love Jesus the way that we want to love Jesus. And that's why our discipleship strategy is set up the way it is. Because you will not find those friendships just showing up to church. You can come to church week in and week out and just show up and participate in everything we offer during our services and not find those friendships. What you need to do is you need to open yourself up to those relationships so that you can be known and you can know others. And that's why in our discipleship strategy, the first step that we want everybody to take is to pursue Jesus, to personally pursue Jesus. That's why it's at the top of our triangle. But after you make the decision to pursue Jesus, which means you're going to attend services and you're going to worship together with other people and you're going to listen to the teaching moment and you're going to try to grow personally so that in your own life you are then um, maintaining a healthy spiritual life by studying God's Word on your own and having times of personal worship and prayer. After you make the decision to personally pursue Jesus, the very next step that we want everybody in our church to take is to join a group. To make the commitment to do life in a smaller circle with others who have the same values that you have with others who love Jesus the way you want to love Jesus. See, we have a saying that we say among our staff often, and it's this, relationships happen in circles, not rows. Because you could walk onto either one of our campuses on any given Sunday and sit down in a row and you can be spiritually fed by listening to the sermon and you can have a meaningful encounter with God through worship. But you can sit down in a pew in a row week in and week out for years and never have a meaningful friendship, a friend who's going to do life with you, a friend who's going to hold you accountable, a friend who's going to encourage you, a friend who's going to support you, a friend who's going to help you find the light in the midst of whatever darkness you're experiencing. 
And I know people and you know people who have attended the same church for years, but they have no meaningful friendships in their church because all they do is they come and sit in rows. And they never sit in a circle. Because in a circle, in a smaller setting, you're able to get to know somebody and others are able to get to know you. Being in a circle allows you to be known by others. And I get it. That's a little bit risky, especially for us guys. And I told you earlier that there was a time in my life that I didn't think I needed deep, meaningful, spiritual friendships. And I remember I used to hear people talk about small groups, and I would just laugh and say, you know, that's for other people. That's not for me. I don't want to be part of a group at all because I don't want to sit around with a bunch of people and sing Kumbaya and talk about our feelings. That was just not for me. I didn't want to do that until I actually joined a group, a smaller group. And when I joined that group and got to know people, and these friendships were formed, and we started to do life together, I didn't want to live without it. For the past year, we've been in a life group here at First Church, and as much as I love our church, and I loved our church almost from day one, I have fallen in love with our church even more because of that group. I am growing every single week because of the interaction I have with that group. And I know sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to play it safe and I'm not going to take that risk and I'm not going to join a group. Let me tell you something. Not joining a group, not opening yourself up to others, that's not playing it safe. That's just keeping things the same. And if you want to keep your spiritual life on the same level it's been at, then just keep things the same. But if you actually want to be stretched, if you want to grow, God will use others to grow you in a way that you cannot grow on your own. We want to challenge you not to play it safe because we want you you to experience a spiritual life, a balanced spiritual life, which will lead to a content and satisfied life like you've never had before. God uses people to grow people. And God will use others to grow your faith in ways you could not grow on your own. But I also want you to notice in our passage that we just read how the other disciples respond to Thomas. Remember, Thomas basically is saying, I don't believe you. Verse 25 says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And the other disciples, they could have been upset. They could have been offended by this. But we get no indication that they were. We don't see that they criticize Thomas, that they scold Thomas, that they get frustrated with him at all. Instead, they continue to allow Thomas to hang out with them, to spend time with them. Because we later find out that it's another week before Jesus appears to them again. So it's another week before Thomas gets to actually see Jesus for himself. And yet, these ten other disciples allow for Thomas to hang out with them. Because they know That if they just encourage him and hang with him, eventually he will experience what they've already experienced. And I think one reason why we get no indication that these other disciples got mad at Thomas or criticized him is because they had all been there before. See, I think Thomas kind of gets a bad rap. Thomas has a nickname in church circles today. What's Thomas's nickname? Just shout it out. Doubting Thomas, right? That's what Thomas is forever known for, Doubting Thomas. And honestly, if I was Thomas, I'd be offended by that. (laughs) But also, I think it's unfair. I think he gets a bad rap. Because in reality, Thomas wasn't the only one that doubted. All the other disciples doubted as well. 
They just got to experience Jesus first after the resurrection. See, what's interesting is when the women first came to the disciples to tell them that the tomb was empty and give them the message that the angels had told them, do you know how the other disciples responded? Luke 24 verse 11 says, but they, the disciples, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. None of them believed at first. They all doubted the news of the resurrection. And I think that's why none of them jumped on Thomas. None of them piled on Thomas because they had all been there before. They knew there was a moment when they needed grace when it came to this subject. And so they were going to give Thomas grace as well. So let me ask you another question. Do you have friends who won't punish you for being honest? It's critical that we have spiritual friends who don't punish us when we're honest with them, but instead encourage us when we're honest with them. See, I'm afraid the church in our culture today is full of people who are afraid to be honest. They're afraid to be honest about what they're feeling, afraid to be honest about their doubts, afraid to be honest about what they're experiencing. They're afraid to be honest and ask questions. And so they just sit back and they never open up to anyone. But I don't think that's what Jesus intended his church to be. And I just want to let you know, here at First Church, we don't want to be known for being that type of church. This is a place where it is safe for you to be honest. It's safe for you to ask your questions. This is a safe place for you to express your doubts. You know why? We've all had doubts before. We've all had questions before. If you're struggling with some sin, this is a place where you can be honest about that because we've all struggled with sin. If you're looking at yourself and say, you know, I just don't have this thing figured out, we've all been there. Join the club. Well, the church isn't a club. I think we've been saying that, but still, you know what I mean. Come be part of our family. Because we've all needed grace at times. We've all needed patience from others and from God for that matter. And we're here for you. First Church is a safe place for your questions. It's a safe place for you to come and seek help. And we hope that you do just that. So Thomas's friends, they didn't punish him for his honesty. He felt safe enough to express his doubts to them. And let's read and see what happens. Speak up with me, if you would, back in chapter 20 at verse 26. And it says, a week later, remember Thomas has to wait a week before he's able to see Jesus for himself. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. So Thomas, even though he had his doubts, eventually gets to experience what the other disciples experienced. And I think he stuck with them because they didn't abandon him. They didn't reject him. They didn't get frustrated with him. Instead, they encouraged him. They stood by him in the midst of his darkness. And Thomas ended up experiencing Jesus in a powerful and life-changing way. And so I want to ask you one more question today. Do you have friends who see the best in you even when you don't? In other words, do you have close friends who will stick by you no matter what? Who will stand with you no matter what? Do you have friends who refuse to give up on you? Do you have friends who are willing to enter your darkness with you in order to show you the way out? Maybe I should word it like this. 
Do you have friends who will love you like Jesus loves you? Because honestly, this world can be a tough place to live. We all know that. And if we are going to survive this world and all the temptations we face and the struggles that are placed in front of us and the attacks from Satan and others, if we're going to survive this dark world, we've got to have people who will stand beside us and remind us we are not alone. We've got to have people who remind us that we have a greater purpose that we're living for. We've got to have people who remind us we are loved and that light can still be seen in the midst of whatever darkness we're facing. This world's going to be a tough place to live. But we can get through it when we have others who are doing life with us who love Jesus as we want to love Jesus. I mentioned before that Alice and me have been part of a life group here at First Church for about a year. And this group formed uh, this past fall when we kicked off our group season. And we didn't know a lot of people in our group before we uh, joined it. But now we've gotten to know them and we have some close friendships. In our group, we love doing life together. We study together, we're growing together, and typically most groups take a break during the summer. We're coming now to the end of our group season. We take a break during the summer and then we kick off groups again in the fall. Our group doesn't want to stop meeting. We're not going to meet as frequently because summer gets busy and there's a lot of plans and people traveling and all that, but we don't want to stop meeting because we know how much we need one another. And the other day, a couple in our group, they were talking about how much our group has meant to them. And as they were talking I thought I think everybody needs to hear their story they moved here about a year ago by the time that our group was forming they moved here about a year or so ago and they felt lost because they had left their home left their friends left their church so they started attending first church and they got part of our group and listened to what they had to say about it we've been married for about seven years now and we lived in Kansas uh, for most of that time until about a year and a half ago we moved down here for a new job position that I took uh, in Collinsville. Moving somewhere where um, it was away from my family it was a completely new state, a new town we've never been to. Um, it definitely was a little scary and nerve-wracking at times. And for us, moving here, while we knew it was what the Lord said to do, it was a very hard transition. It was, it was a challenge for sure, probably one of the biggest challenges we've faced in life so far. And finding the life group really made us feel like, okay, we can do this. And it was one of those things where the Lord said, here, I'm blessing you with this because this is where I said for you to be. So it's been such a blessing. Being part of the group, has, Life Group has allowed us to feel like uh, more than just coming to church on Sundays. It's allowed us to kind of be a part of this community and be a part of this church outside of just Sundays. And it has been amazing to be a part of that Life Group and it has really transformed um, kind of our sense of home into making Owasso truly our home now. So uh, being part of the life group uh, has really given us a community, given us friends and 
people to spend time with and people to do life with and celebrate the good things and have people to pray when you're in the hard things. And uh, we left a really strong community. So we kind of felt lost for a little while until we were able to find some people who kind of came alongside us and helped us feel like this is, like this is home. Rachel and Heath, and you'll probably see them if you attend our North Garnett campus, and they would tell you what Allison and I would tell you, what probably anybody in our group would tell you. Life is better together. That's just the way it is, and that's the way of Jesus. And so I know our life group season is coming to an end, and most groups will take a break during the summer. But we're going to kick back off life groups again this fall. And if you haven't been part of a group in the past, we want to challenge you to pray about that over the summer months because we want everybody in our church to be part of a group. In a church our size, that's how you're going to build those relationships. That's how you're going to get to know people who love Jesus as you want to love Jesus. And so over the summer months, pray about that. And maybe you're someone who's been part of a group in the past, but you've kind of dropped out. Find a group again. And maybe you're somebody who's been consistently part of a group, but you've never led one. We want this next group season to be our best season for small groups, for life groups yet here at First Church. So if we have a bunch of people join a life group, we need some leaders. So maybe what you need to do is to take a step of faith and lead a group for the very first time. Pray about that as well. But this fall, when we kick off life groups again, we want you to be a part of one. Because life is better together. It's just the way it is. That's the way of Jesus. And I hope that you'll say yes to doing life his way. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today, for the time we had to come together as your church and to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that we can take from your word what you want us to hear, that we will realize that life is better together. And Father, that we will find those meaningful friendships that will help us Make it through our darkness that will help us learn to love you more. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.